commencing countdown. Three, two, one. This is the Contracting Experience. Connecting government contracting professionals to the world around them through conversations with acquisition influencers, insights into evolving hot topics, and sharing lessons learned from the field. In this episode of the Contracting Experience Podcast, we sit down with Head of Air Force Contracting, Major General Alice Trevino. Major General Trevino talks about the great power competition and what contracting's role will be in optimizing the Air Force towards this mission. She also addresses where we are going with digital transformation and Air Force acquisition and provides some of the top 2024 initiatives contracting professionals can get involved with. Major General Trevino also advises the workforce on her top areas to focus on as we optimize for the great power competition. Major General Trevino, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Amber. I'm so excited to be here. I'm happy to have you. All right, so let's jump in with the first question. So in October of 2023, this last October, Air Force leadership sent out a memo describing the effort to re-optimize the Air Force for the Great Power Competition, or GPC. Can you tell us how you see contracting's role in optimizing the Air Force towards this mission and why we are at a critical need for these changes? Yes, I'm so glad that you asked that and thank you. And before I forget, I do want to congratulate you on five years of your podcast since October. I think that's pretty cool. Thank you. I appreciate it. And I have appreciated all your support over these years. So thank you. Then it's it's a huge opportunity for for us to get our message out and you offer that. And it's just, I'm all about communicating and collaborating and just making sure that we streamline our comms. I know you've probably heard me say, it's like, what do you know? Who who, do you, who needs to know it? Have you told them? And if not, what's your plan? And I, and I think that goes after exactly what um, your question is about with the secretary. You know, he, he's charged us to optimize for great power competition. And along that with everything that we're doing with our mantra of alignment, prioritization and simplification, we also have to optimize DAF contracting, Department of the Air Force contracting for great power competition. And the memo that the secretary sent out in October, you know, it was um, signaling what we were going to do for the coming year. And here we are. It's it's almost uh, 2024. And I had the honor of also being at um, Corona after the secretary made that announcement and, you know, with all the senior leaders, he's been, he's been very deliberate in, in his messaging and allowing um, five lines of effort. And I mean, not to be confused with our flight plan lines of efforts, but five lines of effort to, to look at how the air force is today organized, trained and equipped. And that's looking at uh, the staff functions. It's looking at the major commands. It's looking at the field commands for Space Force. And it's it's looking at basic warfighting because it's out of necessity. We need to make sure that if we are prepared for not just great power competition, but to def- 
deter our adversaries and make sure that our pacing threat China um, does not ever take us into great power conflict that that we are optimizing how the the air force organized trains and equips and you know that that we were lucky um to be on line of effort five for SAF AQC and and that was a, a that was um making sure that we we're looking at support and how do we support again that basic war fighting function uh, but really making sure that that our senior leaders um, took the time because great power competition takes an enormous amount of time and it was um, you know purposeful and making sure that we did the analysis behind it but it's going to make us more competitive and more formidable um, to make sure that the air force remains the best that it can be in the best air force on this planet so i'm really excited um, just you know the the secretary that announcement came out in October. Um, he had just announced it as well. You know, the memo came out in October he had, and he had announced it at AFA in September um, that we were going to be looking at uh, the Air Force again, how we organize, train and equip. Then Corona was in November and then these lines of effort, the teams, um, they, they, you know, went back to their workplaces. They were um, filled up of of senior leaders and um, staff professionals and um, representation again from the major commands and the field field commands, but going forward uh, to to give options to the secretary that he's going to make at the end of January and the you know the Air Force today may not be the Air Force of tomorrow. And the Air Force last reorganized in 1992. And that was the last major organization or reorganization that the Department of the Air Force had. So it's been over 30 years, right? It's almost 32 years. And I talk about change agency all the time, but what can we change to be more ready? And that's what the secretary is asking us to do. And that is exactly what I, as the deputy assistant secretary for contracting is asking all of us to do is what can we change to be more ready for great power competition and also to deter great power conflict. Okay. So you mentioned what can we do to be more ready and of course, thinking of like, you know, that that buyer or that that contracting officer or that pricer or that procurement analyst working out in the field right now, um, you know, thinking of that question, like what can we do right now to be more ready um, in this time of of optimizing for the great power competition? What are the the top two or three things that you would advise the Air Force contracting workforce to focus on um, when they're thinking about this? So I really like that question, Amber, because it really starts with what we should start thinking about. But what I what I mostly and primarily like about that question is everything that we have been doing for our contracting flight plan, and that's in the last year of 2023, but even as we go into 2024, 
We have been, because when we get messages from our senior leaders, you know, it, it is incumbent upon us to make sure that we're aligned with what our senior leaders are telling us to do, but also that we are thinking about what they're asking us to think about and that we're making deliberate decisions along the way. And so um, through our building mission-focused business leaders, you know, it if the Air Force um, contracting community continues to make sure that we are not just recruiting, but we're retaining and that we're training and we're developing our personnel, that is going to keep us on track for great power competition. And it it's not saying that we're, we know everything. It's, it's this thinking, it's promoting this critical thinking. And, and the secretary has been able to start that conversation so that we have been able to have not just those meaningful conversations and, um, you know, a meaningful dialogue, but that we have and may have to make as we go forward, some tough choices. And so, you know, the top two or three things I would, um, you know, kind of, I, I kind of simplify it a little bit because it's still going to be with the alignment prioritization and simplification, but the alignment piece as, you know, is kind of like prepare for those changes with that change agent mindset, because when you, when you go through um, any type of change, um, if it's a, a minor change, a major change, you know, a, a, a phenomenal change that, that you hadn't anticipated, we all go through the same cycle. And that's, um, you know, at the beginning, it's, you're kind of paralyzed and there's some instability because you, you don't know what's going to happen next. But you need to get through as quickly as possible. You need to get through those um, denial and anger and depression stages of the change so that we can get through testing and, um, you know, get through bargaining, which should occur earlier, but get through testing of what can we live with and what resources do we have and what are the means as we go across the line to acceptance. And I'm, I'm focused, LOE1, Building Mission Focused Business Leaders was intentional as our LOE1 because it underscores and underpins all of the other lines of effort. And so really thinking about our people is why we made that first. And as we say, what can we change to be more ready? I would ask, all of our listeners to ask themselves, what, what can I change to be more ready? And what I like about that question is we've given some, some tools out there, right? Some resources. And, and I love talking about the individual development plan because it's individual to the person, but that is like one of the first places and that each of our um, employees, whether or not you're a, an employee or a supervisor, you can start with that to say, what, what can I change to be more ready? Where do I want to grow? Um, and it's, it's using, you know, it's not, it's not just the, the functional um, dual track roadmaps that we already have, but it's um, using them as, as this, the thoughtfulness behind 
this uh, future retention and, and personal development, which then, you know, you bring in your supervisors and you bring in your mentors. So, you know, number one, asking that question to yourself and then where the we comes in is what can we change to be more ready? It's being able to have those conversations with your units and with your supervisors so that gets up to your senior contracting officials so that they can be your voice into future iterations of our, you know, as we pull these initiatives across the line because they're they're evolving. And we to be able to be prepared for great power competition, we have to have, um, you know, it's we have to be organizationally aligned. We have to look at our force development. We have to um, accelerate how we look at talent management. We really need to be enterprise focused because we are going to succeed as an enterprise. And I'm talking about the, the Department of the Air Force enterprise, but also our Department of the Air Force contracting enterprise, thinking through, um, you know, what is best for the contracting functional as we support our mission partners, but also as we allow tailorability for each individual senior contracting official, because the SCOs, you know, we have 26 SCOs, they have an individual portfolio and though that's where those trade-offs come in. So sometimes we have to make those tough choices, but making sure that they have, um, you know, the means and then they can tailor as appropriate to their mission. And then um, the secretary has also made, made sure and, um, you know, encouraged us and, and kind of stated flatly that we are going to execute enterprise solutions at speed. And so I would say that that's the other thing that I would ask our all of our listeners is what can we do that's and I'm not I'm not spe- you know not recklessly speeding because we have to have a, a vector and we got to make sure we're going in the right direction um, but making sure that when we when we identify these enterprise solutions that we're not um, you know we're we're not being in uh, unintentionally or intentionally slowing things down. We want to make sure that we can um, go, go as fast as we need to go. So I would get ready for great power competition and stay ready. We have to build the advantage and we have to sustain it. And it is going to be exciting and it's going to be, you know, it's going to challenge all of us, but I think our, collaborative networks that we've built, we're going to need them even more than we needed them in 2023. Uh, that's, that's kind of a, a really exciting for, you know, my vantage point up here um, at the Pentagon, but also as every single uh, unit is leading at the tip of the spear and being um, able to navigate and look very clear-eyed that institutional alignment, again, understanding our roles and responsibilities. So those would kind of be the top two things I would, I would start with, you know, if you don't know where to begin, 
um, asking yourself first is what can I change to be more ready and kind of use that individual development plan. And then what can we change to be more ready at the unit level and then float those ideas up through the senior contracting officials so that we are, are using that enterprise focused, you know, that enterprise focused solutions at speed. Great. Yeah, I think that gives our listeners a, at least really good starting places, right? To really look at this, um, this what's what's going to be happening in the coming months, and to kind of take bite size, you know, <laughs> choose of it, right? Um, in order to really process it, because you know, you talked about change, and you know, as as humans, if we believe that our if our brains believe that change is going to be hard and is going to be difficult, then our brain is going to look for how change is hard and difficult. Uh, but some of the words that you used is, you know, this is also potential to really provide clarity in, in kind of how we're operating. And it can be exciting and it can be a challenge, but it can be a good challenge. And so, um, you know, I have no idea, obviously, what the secretary is going to decide and, and all that, but kind of just looking at it from trying to trying to look at it from a different perspective is how can the individuals listening see this as an opportunity? Um, and within themselves, and like you talked about that individual individual development plan, um, but also an opportunity for our organizations and the missions that we support, um, and then how they can take that in their everyday, you know, the way that they're operating in their everyday. Absolutely, because I think you know that that really is something. You know, years ago, I remember being asked um, by this is when I was in this is about two thousand and ten. And I had a questionnaire that I that I um, sent out to all of all of my employees when I was a squadron commander, and I had set it up. Uh, and there was a portion of of the questionnaire, and it basically said, identify your greatest strengths and your greatest and your you know and your weaknesses. And one of one of my employees, he changed the questionnaire. And he and he changed the weaknesses to opportunities for improvement. And I'll never forget it. And it was uh, Lieutenant Colonel Quincy Hearns. And, you know, I, I remember at the first I was like, what? He changed my questionnaire. But then I was like, oh, exactly. That's why I wanted to even ask the question, because when you have opportunities for improvement, you can identify plans to improve upon them. If you just say, these are my weaknesses, it almost um, implies that, yep, they're there and they're always going to be there. Mm -hmm. But this, it really is an opportunity. And it's not, you know, we're not uh, throwing, you know, you know, clouds of, 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 you know, or blackened out windows over our faces. Right. There, there are challenges. It's, it's, but it really puts you in the proper mindset of solving and mm -hmm. experimenting and, you know, failing fast and it's okay to fail as long as we learn the lesson. And, you know, when I, when I said enterprise solutions at speed, we still, we're still doing thinking behind it. It's just, we, we can't afford soft vetoes or slow decisions. Mm -hmm. There's, there's no time for that. This is necessity. Right, right. Okay, well, we're going to switch a little bit, but it might tie in still with that is the next question is, where are we going with digital transformation and acquisition? 
All right. So I'm, I'm very excited about this because we've been talking about it for a while. And there's a, there's again, with the evolving, we've, we've had a, a little bit of a, a shift on what we can do, what's in the realm of the possible. And we really started this conversation in earnest in August at our um, mini board of directors. And we were out at SSC and uh, Natalie Riedel had hosted us and we were being asked and a lot of um, junior employees were asking, hey, where are we going with artificial intelligence and machine learning? And it started out with that just because there's a, you know, there's a lot out there with Ask Sage and ChatGPT and, and you can use um, these chat, the chat DPT on your, you know, personal devices. But what we found, because uh, we wanted to explore that arena and we had so many, you know, passionate uh, mission-focused business leaders and change agents who really wanted to dive into this um, really quickly. So we asked ourselves, well, well how are we going to do this? And, you know, we have to have a process. We can't just, you know, I talked earlier about run. You know, being reckless, we want to be a be deliberate because we we need to be processed, but we don't we don't want to slow ourselves down. And a lot of folks, like I said, are impassioned about this, and we want them on the team. We want to start looking at this. So we had thought that we could have this um, what we call a sandbox, and we'd be able to put things out in the sandbox so that we could experiment with them and vet them. Well, long story short, we, at the same time as well, the Department of Defense um, put out some um, policy as well as Congress and you know, a lot of um, uh, new cybersecurity awareness, but also um, information about where we had some vulnerabilities across DOD. And so even within the Air Force, we were uh, slowed down a little bit and we work very closely with SAFCN and the, the um, Air Force CIO and making sure that we're aligned with not just the um, OSD with the Department of Defense and everything that um, acquisition and sustainment is doing, but also that we we stay aligned with the Air Force. And so again, long story short, we had to pivot and pull it up a little bit and go a little bit more broad. Um, the the new processes um, and regulations and policies were coming out, and so we have to flight follow them. The sandbox that we had set up was shut down because they were still doing vetting um, behind the scenes, and the air tasking orders on any of those um, GPT flat platforms were also being worked out. So we came at this from a new direction and um, we're, we're collecting you know, um, ideas from all of our passioned, impassioned and passionate mission-focused business leaders and focusing our efforts on some of the applications that are out there that are already on the network, but are homegrown at a unit and unimportant fortunately, I would say, is other people don't know about them. So this kind of morphed. Um, we're aligning very closely with AFMCPK, 
Um, so Miss Heidi Bullock and um, um, Bob Bohenick and AFMCPKN, and and then our team at SAFAQCI is we want to learn about the ideas that are out there, and then they're going to go through a vetting process, and we're going to allow um, you know members can go check out these applications a lot of them are on um, you know built on sharepoint and so uh, they don't they already have the air um, they already have an air an ato so they have uh, you know permission to be on the network and um, we won't have to you know kind of um, wait for the the other policies to to catch up with us so there's things that we can do beforehand in the digital transformation acquisition realm and then there are, are things that, that we know will take a little bit longer as the, as the policies and regulations catch up with what's actually going out on out in, um, you know, with our um, cybersecurity policies. And so that, that's kind of given us a, a new way to look at, you know, how we, we look at, um, you know, most of this is happening with LOE2 and LOE3. Um, but again, with LOE1 is how do we make sure that our mission-focused business leaders are aware of what's going on, that they have access to the tools, that they can, you know, vote and give us their feedback, and that they can then, you know, give enhancement ideas on where we can get better. So sometimes it's not you know, like I said, a, you know, a groundbreaking change that is, is going to, you know, you know, morph overnight, but it's, it's, you know, even with our con IT, um, our con IT system, contract writing system, as we're going through, you know, all of the data migration efforts and we're um, creating the first classified version of con IT, and we have new pricing and negotiation tools that are out there again, homegrown sometimes and only, you know, one unit. So say 20 or 30 people know about it, but what about the other 8,000 mission focused business leaders that they're either creating something, you know, at their own level or at their own organization, cause they don't know about it, but they could be already using something. And so it's it's kind of been a great journey to you know when we when Chief Debose and I go out on the road and and we're able to to meet with um, teams to you know to, to directly um, we like to meet with mission partners and we always ask okay you know who give us nominate some of your outstanding performers and your um, you know we're all change agents but nominate some of your change agents that you are so proud of that are, you know, epitomizing some of the characteristics of a change agent, you know, they're thinking outside of the box or they're working within the box or they're bringing mission partners on in a new way. And we have um, found that they'll, they'll give us, um, here's somebody and here's a, a tool or initiative that they created and they're investing time into it, but no one else knows about it. 
And so we've been able to not just recognize those individuals and units for creating these, um, but we're going to be able to uh, point people to where it's not just me and Chief DeBose going out to, you know, to units, but we're going to be able to allow everybody to contribute to uh, the digital acquisition transformation kind of like idea network. And then we're going to explain how you then go through the process so that it's, you know, so it's vetted. Um, and, and one way that we're looking at it is like, does this already exist somewhere? Um, or is there something better that you didn't know about, which now can, uh, can almost amplify what you're doing? And or could those two teams work together? And then what comes out of that on the other end will be um, what we can put on our acquisition toolbox. And so everything gets tied together and they'll be, you know, pointing to one location, whether it's, you know, building upon the network that AFMC has created, um, built, you know, or SSC or Space RCO, the things in that um, SAP environment or RCO, but it's where somebody in contracting can go to to see it and then where we can share it faster than we did before, meaning before was just word of mouth and the one to 20 people who knew about it, but how can we exploit our network so that we're sharing things out of necessity because we all need them, they'll benefit all of us and we're going and tackling problems that on average we all have, but then solving them together. And so it's, it's kind of a, um, it's not just digital transformation um, where we're being asked to go to, um, you know, like negotiating um, new contracts using digital transformation platforms, but also using these acquisition tools for our contracting professionals and our, our multifunctional team members um, to leverage the ideas that we do have within our own community. And if we do need resourcing, time, people, ideas, that we can invest in those, again, making the tough choices on what we want to focus on. So it's really exciting um, just because it's, you know, it's sometimes it doesn't have to be um, that revolutionary change, but sometimes it's evolutionary and we're evolving the way that we look at digital transformation and acquisition, but we're also evolving how we allow everyone to contribute and participate and be part of that change um, more so than we ever have before. And I, and I love that because it doesn't matter if you've been in contracting for three months or 40 years, you, you, know some of the problems that we have and we we all have this um when you're in contracting so it's you have an insatiable desire to solve things for yourself and for others and it's how can i be more efficient um how you know even if you've just come off of a source selection it's like how could i have done that better what could we have you know um do you remember, like, I, if you go into the Wayback Machine, Amber, your first source selection, my first source selection, you know, we were writing down our notes 
And now Mm -hmm. like we have, you know, templates that, that are driving us through how we've graded, um, you know, the source selection criteria and it's twofold, right? It makes our lives easier as somebody who's on the source selection, but it also makes sure that we stay in process and in the effect that, um, you know, if there is a protest that we're able to get the documentation faster and justify why we came to, you know, um, a, a source selection decision or that that recommendation that we gave the, the source selection decision authority. And so it's it's exciting to know how far we've come, but also to know how far we still have to go because the ideas keep coming and we want to make sure that we have the the best tools available and that we're, we're using, um, you know, the digital, I'll go back to opportunities that you brought up because we're using those because they're opportunities for us and we're wasting them if we don't tap into that talent. Yeah. And I was actually just going to use the same word opportunity. This sounds like an opportunity for, any any contracting professional that's out there that's working on their own you know stuff that if this is something that interests them ai uh, digital transformation all that stuff is if it's something that interests them then getting involved in promoting the tools that are already out there and maybe even testing out you know new applications of some of those tools that that you discussed that afmcpkn is going to be working working on working with and um, reviewing and, and that's a way to allow people to work on things that they're interested in, right? Because it kind of that adds some some newness to if you're, if you're working certain buys, oh, well, I'm also involved in, in kind of some different applications on some of the this AI and how we can use that in contracting or acquisition to help our, our teams. Yes. While we're waiting for sometimes the policies to catch up with us, it's not holding us back. And, you know, just as an example, we have... Um, at the 502nd contracting squadron down in San Antonio, we worked with um, Colonel Rich, Rich Ward, who's now retired, and then his successor, Colonel Babiars, Colonel Jim Ashley, and Brigadier General Lance French. And they saw a need at the, at the local contracting squadron level for customer education, and that they have a group of mission partners or requirement owners that come into their office and need something, but they have little, if any, acquisition experience. And so they set up this, um, it's a um, its a requirements generation kind of tool. And what it does is it, walk, it walks you through and the, you know, the very first, you know, when you enter into it, the, you know, kind of like you enter into the portal, it says, are you a contracting person or are you, a non-contracting person? Are you a mission partner? Are you a requirement owner? And then then it kind of just says, well, what do you need? And what are you looking for? You know, is it a service? Is it a commodity? Is it a, is it a construction project? Is, you know, and so it asks them these questions that a contracting officer or a buyer would be asking, but it's allowing them to go do some homework on their own. So they're building knowledge and then they still have the buyer and the, the PCO to bounce things off of. But it started in the operational acquisition world. And then at the same time, we had a member down at, um, who's at Eglin now, um, uh, Captain Henry Camp, and he was kind of doing something similar, but he was looking at it 
And he was a candidate of the vice chairman, uh, chief of staff of the Air Force's innovation and idea program. And they were getting a separate kind of um, tool being developed through a contractor. And that came up through the vice chief and it came down to us at SAF AQC. And we didn't know about either of these. So one is homegrown based on SharePoint, already has the ATO. The other one was using SIVR funding, got to its phase two, and now it was seeking um, additional funding. And so we worked with the members, you know, that all, all of these stakeholders, and we worked with Brigadier, Brigadier General French and Mr. Tony Everidge to kind of look at both of them because they were both following in the operational acquisition portfolio and said, okay, you know, um, how much money does um, the one need for further development to go to a contractor and what's your sustainment plan versus the one that was developed in the 502nd? And how about if we put those people together? Because now, instead of going out and looking for $300,000 in funding for just one year, we don't need additional funds. We have something that we can now exploit. And General French is going to beta test that with uh, Colonel Jim Ashley across the AETC contracting squadrons. And then we're going to pull people in to see it from systems and enterprise to see how could I tailor this again if I'm looking at the lens of my squadron contracting official lens what do I need? And, you know, are there opportunities there where you can then enhance it? And then maybe it could be opened up even further. And so the possibilities are endless, but it's really, you know, what you're, what you're kind of investing your time in. And then are we putting people in the know who have this talent and kind of have taught themselves on SharePoint um, to, you know, again, to put those enhancements in play so then other people can use the same thing. And it's a, it's a, we've all had that challenge. We've all had that challenge of a brand new customer coming to us and they don't know where to start. And, you know, uh, I'll just, you know, 30 years ago, 25 years ago, even 20 years ago, we just handed them a pamphlet. Now, we might send them to a website and tell them to do homework, but this actually sent this would send them to then a game, an interactive, you know, um, tool where they can actually walk themselves through what they're trying to do, and that really kind of streamlines the requirement process. And it's the possibilities of it are endless. It's just again, we need to prioritize what we're you know going to invest our time in and then we need to find very excited people um again those passionate you know personnel who want to experiment in that arena and then have them join us on that team so i'm i'm really excited about that well, and I'm sure there's some people listening that are like, ooh, I want to get a hold of that tool for my requirement owners so that way they can, you know, get started without us having to explain it um, a lot at the beginning. So, um, so yeah, so I'm sure there will be some more collaboration, especially around that particular um, capability. Um, so on for your for the next question, um, I wanted to talk about initiatives. So what 2023 initiatives do you plan to continue growing in the 2024 Air Force contracting flight plan? 
And are there some new initiatives you would like the workforce to start considering? So I'll just, I'm going to go like very, very high level. And in last year's flight plan, we had 32 key results. So in um, building the mission-focused business leaders, LOE1, and then LOE2, tools, not rules. LOE3 is contracting process innovation, looking at our processes and making sure that that we, you know, are are exploring and sharing. And then LOE4, expeditionary contracting as a joint force capability. Underscoring those just by account was 32. And now as we've 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 kind of um, uh, snapped the, the grid line or the chalk line, and we'll have 29 going into 2024. Now, what that means, and a lot of them are continuing because the if you've ever done a plan and you knew that that plan had to be executed or implemented across, and I'm just going to really simplify it and say more than two people, both people had to understand the plan completely. If it was just you, on you alone, you're the only person who ever had to understand the plan. But all of our implementation plans in contracting involve more than two people. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. we have realized, and this wasn't, you know, this wasn't like a groundbreaking um, revolution, but you can create something, but if you haven't socialized it and no one else knows about it, it's kind of like that old question is like, if a tree falls in the forest and no one was there, did they hear it or did it really fall? And so that's, that's where we're, we've kind of, you know, we're at the, the tipping points of that. And so even in October, before we were getting ready for our board of directors in December, and, I, you know, again, our board of directors just adjourned on the 15th of December. And I'm so excited. Um, and I'm excited because we opened it up to the entire workforce and everybody, if you had time, could sign in, could observe, could listen to the cussing and discussing the debate, the dialogue, the discourse. And we've never done that. I mean, we were fully transparent. We're trying to get everything out. And even as we led up to that, there were people who were like, okay, we're done. It's over. And we had to take a step back and say, are we really done? Or do we need to have a strategic communication plan? Or do we need to do a little bit more homework? Or did we learn something along the way? And so those those kind of became some of our carryover tasks. Some of them we doubled down on and we, um, you know, we had to um, learn more about. The, you know, I talked about the individual development plans already. Again, you know, I, I sent out a memo last year and, w- you know, we're just underscoring that you had to do an individual development plan. That's been mandatory for as long as everybody who's listening right now has been in the Air Force. But we weren't really enforcing it. And some some people had never done an IDP, never. Um, and and it's it's 
you know, it's, it's kind of unfortunate because the individual development plan is, you know, it's really, it's laying out your personal and professional goals in the short and medium and long term. But if you're, if your supervisor never asked you to do it and you didn't know you were supposed to do it and then, you know, and you didn't do it, it's, it's, you, you probably grew and, um, you know, you probably developed, but it might have been ad hoc along the way. And so I kind of ask my, you know, myself, I have a, you know, my personal story is when, and, and now because of this personal story, I talk to, new employees all the time about putting on your to-do list or your, your IDP to earn a warrant and, you know, start out with a simplified acquisition threshold warrant, start out and then go to a limited and then go to an unlimited. But no one that, no one that was my supervisor ever asked me to start studying for my warrant until I had to like sit down and, and sit on a board um, in three months and it was it was horrific, really, because had I been thinking about it along all along, you know, instead of at the eight year point, you know, being kind of like completely caught off guard that, OK, we're putting you forward for an unlimited warrant. Um, go start studying now. I could have been kind of studying and knowing along the way that, Hey, it's going to happen. And, and just, it's, it changes the way that you think it's kind of what you said earlier, um, Amber. It's like when you look at something as a, as a challenge and hard to do, you're going to see it as a challenge and hard to do. When you look at something as, Hey, this is normal. This is average. Everybody does this. Um, I am going to do it someday. The, the time period might be different for everybody. And it usually is, but I know I will do it and I'm going to be intentional about it there's like backwards things in your mind that then are occurring along the way. And, and some of that is, is just by virtue of you thinking about it. And so, you know, me personally, it was at the eight year mark, my PCO nominated me and, you know, I, I studied, I, I had was reading index cards, you know, trying to memorize it and, it was not the way to study for a warrant. You know, a warrant is about your judgment. It's about your in integrity. It's about how you you think about contracting. It's how you pull your multifunctional partners in. It's about, yes, you have to know the federal acquisition regulation. You have to know the DFARs. You have to know the, the DAFARs. But it's really about, you know, again, your judgment and how you approach these, you know, um, acquisition problems and solving certain requirements and I didn't have that like and so I was caught off guard and three months later when I sat for my warrant I think I got through one question and I was nervous on top of that just because you know it was a stressful situation but I failed my first warrant board and they just stopped they were they were just like okay you're not ready and, you know, it was very demoralizing and didn't get a lot of feedback. And and then it was like, now what? And we reset. I regrouped. I, you know, I talked to my PCO and they reboarded me. And it was um, about a month later. And I when I failed, I continued to study. But I but it, that 
failing was so helpful for me because A, I wasn't really looking at it the right way. And B, I learned something along the way. And it made me think a little bit harder about like, why, why do I want to have a warrant? You know, what am I going to be doing with this warrant? And I had this, you know, false impression that once I earned my unlimited warrant, like that was it, you know, I wasn't, I was done learning and it totally changed the way that I thought about, you know, learning this is in 2001. And when they had agreed to reboard me. They kind of, you know, it was going to be like six months later, but in 2001, it was right after 9-11, I was tasked 35, 30, 30, almost like 35 days after 9-11 that I was going to be a contingency contracting officer deploying into an unclassified location. And, um, they decided because I was going to, I had to be there in nine days. Once I got the tasking, they decided while I was going through the out processing line that they would also reward me. And so a month later, instead of about six months later, I reboarded and I passed because they it kind of, I had different stressors, but that wasn't one of my stressors anymore. And I had continued to study for that month. And I was looking at it in a different light. So I earned my unlimited warrant as I went out the door and went downrange to see Beaumont. And, you know, it was, it's, I think back on it now, it's like, wow, so many things had to happen along the way to make that happen. But because I was able to get reboarded and build my confidence, my deployment actually went so much better because I had earned my unlimited warrant and because I had gained, you know, increased confidence. But this, you know, as we think about that, um, you know, as we, anybody who goes into 2024, we, we really want to keep continuing that mantra of getting people to start thinking earlier about their goals and plans for their future and making sure that we are doubling down on our people. And so you're going to see a lot of key results that are carried forward because we need to continue to socialize them. You're going to see, um, I would say, you know, your question of like what's kind of new is you've probably heard about our enterprise training consortium, but what I'm really excited about is the subject matter experts that are on that team that are now not just focused on collecting, um, you know, training for everyone, but also to be a part of teams when we need new training, when there's new policy that comes out. And Dr. Eller is, um, you know, leading that team and he's going to still, you know, people can join that team and then um, be part of that, um, you know, giving people again, here's, here's a baseline for the training. It meets the policy, but instead of doing it in 90 different separate units for the exact same training, we'll give you the training template and then you can tailor as appropriate to your unit, but you won't have to spend the two or three hours at every, you know, if we 
if a training module takes two or three hours to develop, and it usually takes more, but just to do a, you know, PowerPoint and then, um, you know, the Q&A that goes along with that, if you multiply that by 100, just two or three hours, that's 200 or 300 hours that we'll save across the entire enterprise. So it really goes back to what can we change to be more ready again for great power competition? How can we be smarter in how we, we train our personnel? And that's one of the most exciting key results that I'm, you know, um, super thrilled where, where we're heading in that direction. And then, you know, some of the other ones that 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 you'll see will continue as we're still looking into our special access programs because our special access programs and our personnel that uh, work there, you know, we're we're there's very high turnover there. And so we're really trying to understand the the insights that they're sharing with us, because most people that are working in our special access programs and even some of our, you know, SAR level five um, programs that aren't necessarily SAP or working in a SCIF, but they're doing some of our um, operational imperatives and um, a lot of our acquisitions that are going after great power competition. And so we really have to prioritize, you know, our employees there. And it's really about not just retaining them, but then rotating others through so that more people can get exposed to that. And then there's a, you know, that rotation plan. So excited about that. And then um, building upon our, um, we had, um, you know, um, for our civilians, we have, a you know, just a job board, right? Or civilian openings that are out mm -hmm. there. Well, we had seven of them and we we're like, why do we not have seven? And so the 2023 team built upon that. But all of these initiatives are for our military and our civilians. And so there's a there's a need there for even some of our military members who don't understand once, you know, if they separate or once they retire, how then do I become a civilian employee? So there's some, there's some education there. There's some awareness there. And then there's, you know, there's knowledge where we want to be able to share that with them. So their, you know, their transition is, is as smooth as can be. So all of those feed off of our, our job, the job board that the team has created. So, you know, awareness of what's out there. We're still looking at, you know, our, our manpower study and its companion piece of helping people understand their portfolios so they can make those tough trade-offs. You know, if, if you're a leader of a team or a unit or a squadron or a directorate, you, I guarantee you, every single person listening right now has had a portfolio that has grown. It's not usually shrinking, Right. There's usually more mission partners and more asks than are, you know, taking away from your plate. And so helping people understand what's in their job jar, but then when something new, you know, again, that requirement order knocks on the door and says, hey, I got something new or even a new mission partner that's shown up on the on the installation and they need some assistance or some help, 
contracting support, how do we help you as leaders make those trade-offs? How do you prioritize? You can't just say, I don't have enough people. You have to be able to back up the conversation with data. And then here's what I can do with the people that I have. Here's what I can't do. Here's what I can do if you gave me one more person. Here's here's what we can, you know, um, here's a requirement that is important, but maybe it's not one through 10, maybe it's number 11, and we can make those trade-offs. So really excited about, um, you know, expanding that and, you know, with our um, everything with great power competition and making sure that our contingency contracting officers are as prepared. And this again includes military or civilians, but it also includes the military or civilians that aren't deployed, but then stay back in garrison or home station, you know, as they, um, as, as deployers go out the door, how do we continue to do the mission and how do we make sure that, that everybody understands the why if somebody, you know, had to go forward, how do we, come together to make sure that the mission doesn't fail and then, you know, making sure that we can have, um, you know, that we're trained, ready, prepared, and that um, we can not just, you know, my story that I shared earlier when I went out the door in nine days, how do I get my warrant earlier? How do I, if you're a CCO and you could deploy I don't need to be giving you your simplified acquisition threshold or your uh, your limited warrant as you're going out the door. It's something that you could earn now and be planning for. Again, if you're in contracting, add it on your list right now. Even if you've been in contracting for three months, it's something that you can aspire to and start thinking about. But you can use that combat capability. A warrant is combat capability at home unit. You don't need it just for deployment. And then when you come back from deployment, I shouldn't be terminating your warrant. I should be using it and then building upon those skills. So we're changing our mindset about, you know, um, our, how we think about warrants, talked about it. I'm really passionate about it myself. And then we've changed the, the, um, the CCO training for this year is going to be um, based on the Indo Paycom scenario. So, General French and Chief Knowles, you know, they're releasing that in January, and that will be the new CCO training that every every CCO and and squadron will now have ha and PZI everybody who's in operational acquisition. But don't limit yourself to just operational, and it can help you understand through systems because weapon systems are supporting all of our deployments. Um, doesn't matter if you're, you know, it's not just operational as you go forward, but it's a mindset of thinking through weapon systems, portfolios and enterprise systems. Um, but thinking through that, um, through those scenarios, thinking um, the critical thinking about what it means to be a con contingency contracting officer who can work through surge capability. You know, our, our um, anybody in systems acquisition who's had to do a, a you know, an indefinitized contract action, a yuca is usually some type of of surge scenario. So it's that same type of mindset that we'll be building upon. So I'm really excited about 2024, but there'll be some new stuff and there'll be some old stuff. And I've kind of given you a tidbit on some of the new stuff. And I really encourage everyone to, to dig into the flight plan once it's released and, 
and I'll be messaging that out as well in, in my email communications just to kind of, kind of chunk the information so we keep it simple and not just overwhelm everybody, Amber. For sure. And yeah, I think you gave us a really good um, picture of kind of what's coming in 2024 and what to keep our eyes out for um, and how we can get involved in that. Um, I also really appreciate you sharing your story of getting your warrant. I think just that anecdote really gives a a good co- context on the why, why it's important to have individual development plans. Um, sometimes when we see these memos come out, it's like, okay, another thing to add to the list. But when you, when you don't have the context behind it, it can be easy to, to let your mind go there. Um, so I think it's great to hear this, this, those types of things, because it makes complete sense, right? If you, if you understand how you can actually use that, um, for your own development, for your team's development and having those integral steps to maybe your big goal is to get your warrant, but what are the integral steps to getting you there? And, and that helps keep you more purposeful in your day-to-day, um, work life, um, and, and all that to stay focused. Uh, so I just wanted to foot stomp that, that I think that was a really, a really great story to share. And I appreciate that. Um, you know, you talked about understanding the why and at the director, the board of directors, uh, meeting this December, you talked about why do we do, why are we doing what we're doing? And so I would love just here at the end, if you could just kind of speak to, just around that, I know you mentioned some of the things in this conversation, but just as like the towards the end of this of this podcast episode, I think it'd be great for people to hear kind of your viewpoint on that. Yeah, thanks, Amber. Thanks for asking that question. And one of the other key results, which is kind of like perfect for this question, is of if we don't understand the why, you know, you you're really not being purposeful or, or deliberate and. And Eric Szymanski and his team, you know, they what they've done is they've created um, an understanding the why behind the buy. And it's really about getting out from behind your desk and, and understanding what your mission partners do. Because contracting people, you know, of course I'm biased, but we have our feet and our hands in everything. It doesn't matter if it's weapon systems. It doesn't matter if it's logistics. It doesn't matter if it's the installation. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, enterprise contracting and enterprise solutions across the entire Department of the Air Force or Department of Defense. We love solving problems and we love helping our mission partners. And, you know, collaboration is one of our favorite words because we do it so well. But if you don't get out of your office and get into the field to see that work in action. It's really hard to understand the why. And, you know, I've been in contracting for 30 years. I've been blessed. And, you know, when I first started, I, you know, I didn't really understand, you know, why I would do it, do it because they told me to do it, but not really connecting with my mission partners, not really connecting with my other multi, you know, multifunctional team members and not, not taking the time to, again, ask why. And and sometimes, you know, that can be as, why do you need it so fast? And what's, what's the outcome that you're seeking? But really diving into what it is about the mission, what it is about the, you know, the importance of it. And I'll just give another example because um, in, this is a very simplified exa- example, but, when you're, when you're, no matter what location you're on, 
um, installation base, forward operating base, you know, today and yesterday, you're probably going to see vehicles around. Everybody has a vehicle. And there's, you know, they're non-tactical vehicles or, you know, the, the, the motor pool, um, you know, what you may have to rent a vehicle for an, a short-term exercise, or you may need to um, work with the logisticians and, you know, to make sure that you have a, again, that motor pool available for people to, to use, you know, government vehicles. And it's, it could be bigger than that. It could be an organization like DLA that, or GSA that awards them and they just show up on your base and maybe you haven't had to do that, but you see them. And when I was deployed to Afghanistan as a senior contracting official, we, we kind of, um, you know, you had, you had to go out on the road and sometimes you were in a, you know, sometimes we've got to go to places in helicopters, but if you were in Kabul to get from our location, which you know, I was assigned to Camp Phoenix, and then I ended up uh, moving locations to new Kabul complex. And when I went from Camp Phoenix to NKC, even if I was visiting my boss, you know, we had to go in a, a convoy. You usually had two vehicles and um, luckily those vehicles, you know, they were fortified and, um, you know, you, you were safe on those, but they transitioned them because they wore out so fast just because they were, um, you know, they were armored, heavier um, armor. And, and I'm not, I'm not talking like an, an M M A an MTV or MATV or an MRAP. I'm, I'm talking about the, the sides of the, of the um, SUVs were fortified. So if you did contact enemy fire, it wasn't your typical, um, you know, it wasn't your typical e equipment on your, on your vehicle. And so those non-tactical vehicles were also safety measures and, and security and had, um, you know, blackout windows so you couldn't see in and then they would give you a level of protection if, if um, you know, there was a, a weapon that was discharged against you. And here it was Christmas Eve and the non-tactical vehicles at our location, they were supposed to rotate and they were supposed to rotate at the end of December and they got new vehicles. And so the provider who provided them, they knew they had to turn them in and you basically had a week to do it. And they kind of, they did them in phases and then, you know, you got your new vehicles. Well, we had to sign a, um, we had to do a short term bridge contract and a, a justification and authority, a JNA, because the logistician who worked in the, the headquarters, A4, had gone on his uh, leave and the, the member that he, he had put in charge, you know, who was his acting in his steed, did not know about the transition plan. And so they had not gotten the new vehicles in and they were going to go past the 31 December date. And we were finding this out. Um, and actually it wasn't, it wasn't Christmas. It was, it wasn't the 25th of December. Sorry. It was, it was, it was the 31st of December. And I remember knocking on the head of contracting authority, the head of the contracting agencies, H HCA's door and saying, sir, 
I need you to sign this. We need to keep these vehicles because the vehicles in question happen to be the stabilization force commander who at the time was a four-star Marine General, General Dunford, who became our Chairman Joint Chiefs of Staff. And they were his non-tactical vehicles for his personal security detail. And somebody at the end of the line was like, nope, give back the vehicles. And it was contracting that came in and said, along with that acting member, of like, no, we're going to do a bridge contract. We're going to call the contractor. We're going to explain it. And we're going to, you know, do a more orderly transition for these vehicles. Everybody else had to turn them in and it was, it could do logical and, you know, there wasn't really an answer. But how are you going to take the four-star general's non-tactical vehicles away from his security detail? You can't do it. You got to think sometimes. You got to understand the why. And it was, you know, it was a simple $30,000, you know, less than $30,000 contract purchase order, but it had massive consequences. And so it's not about dollar value. It's about understanding the why and having that, you know, um, really deep connection with our mission partners and then being able to give that judgment and advice and then, you know, really make make things happen. I, I like to call it making magic. Well, I think that is a great, a great place to end on making magic and taking the opportunities, right, that are going to come to us. And so I just want to thank you again for being on the podcast. Thank you, Amber. Really appreciate it. And for all you change agents out there and mission-focused business leaders, keep being patient, positive, curious, and courageous. We're with you 100%. If you have suggestions for topics or people to interview or feedback on the podcast, you can submit those at thecontractingexperience at gmail.com. I want to thank you all for listening to the Contracting Experience podcast. Until next time, keep connecting to the world around you.